0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: I live for Christ. If I die, that's a game. And again, I I believe that's why he was so used of God. How do you stop a guy that feels like if I die, it's a game? If you persecute me, I get rewarded. So the threat of persecution doesn't stop him. The, The threat of death only encourages him nothing how do you stop that guy you can't he just he went Paul went until he was all the way done and we'll see when we get to the end of this book that Paul's gonna be one of the guys who's able to say I finished my race everything Jesus gave me to do I got it done ready to go to heaven."
0: if you are a believer you are saved that is clear in God's word yet beyond that you are now called you are chosen and called to share the gospel. It is not an easy calling, but as Pastor Bill will remind you today, this calling is empowered by the awesome power of God. And when you get to the end of your life, you want to be able to confidently say, I did what God called me to do. Like Paul, don't fear what man can do to you. Seek the Lord at every decision and follow all what God asks of you as your Lord. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, for today's edition of A Transforming Word.
1: A real brief introduction. Now, we, we just finished 1 Timothy, so that was Paul, wrote a letter to a young man named Timothy that was someone he was discipling and preparing for a life of ministry. The things that we learned about Timothy uh, is that he's young, he's timid, he's needing to be encouraged um, in his faith, in his walk with the Lord, and As we come to 2 Timothy, there's been a time gap between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. This is where things are at as we start 2 Timothy. The church is under very heavy persecution from Caesar Nero. They're being persecuted. Christians are being accused or blamed for things that uh, probably Caesar Nero did, uh, burning up areas and such. And so Christians are under attack. Uh, They're being persecuted. Paul finds himself in prison. This is his last imprisonment. He's going to die in this imprisonment. Paul's at the end of his life. He knows it. And so as you listen to the things that are spoken here, hear it and consider it. Think of if you knew you were coming to the end of your life and you just had a few opportunities to just. I got some last things to say to some young people. I'm encouraged. I got some some last nuggets to throw off. That's what Second Timothy is. Paul's last letter. And he's writing it from prison. It should challenge us that while he's in prison. He's writing a letter to encourage someone in their faith. He's writing a letter to, uh, to stir up a young man in his gifts. He's writing a letter, you know, pr- professing that he's praying for others. While he's in prison, there's so little in this letter about him. There's a little bit, but just it's very little about himself that um, Paul is living a selfless life. And his concern was for the work that God had called him to do. As he's on his way out, he wanted to make sure that the baton was handed off. That should speak to all of us that are walking with God, that have a relationship with God about there's a work God's done in you. And it's good that God's done it and he's doing it and he's going to complete the work He begun in you. But we all have a responsibility to pass the baton. And so every one of us could consider that. Do you have a Timothy? Is there someone that you're passing it off to? Do you have a kid? Are there kids? Are there some young person? Is there someone that you're taking what you got? And then you're handing it off, making sure someone else is getting stirred up, someone else is being encouraged. Are you sharing what God's teaching you with somebody else? We all need to be doing that. You don't have to be a pastor, you have to be a leader. You just have to be saved and care about the work of God, the church of Jesus Christ, to be passing it on to someone else. And so I'm always amazed at Paul's prison epistles that from prison, his concern is not that he get out, it's not for his well being, not that they treat him better, it's for the work, it's for the church. And so. Look at 2 Timothy, starting at verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Um, Paul many times would begin his letters in this way. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why would he do that? Because they were always challenging his apostleship. What did it mean that Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ? Paul says, look, I'm an apostle. I'm a sent out one. There's there's apostolic authority in me and I got it directly from Jesus Christ. I'm not an apostle by the will of men. Uh, There wasn't a group of men that elected me to be an apostle. I wasn't voted in by some group. Jesus Christ himself called me to be an apostle. You remember, Paul is the only apostle who, after the uh, resurrection and ascension of Jesus was called. Paul was on his way to Damascus, if you remember, And the Lord Jesus met him, this is uh, post-resurrection and ascension into heaven, met him on the road and and called him and spoke to him there. In Acts chapter 9, you can read it. And so Paul says, look, I've been appointed this position and called to this by Jesus Christ himself, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. This one thing I was considering as I looked at that is every one of us needs to be able to say that we are what we are, By the will of God, whatever you're doing right now, being a mom by the will of God, a husband by the will of God, a dad by the will of God, whatever your job may be, a teacher by the will of God, a a bus driver by the will of God. Like you want to be able to say in your life that, you know what? I ended up here. I prayed about each step. I prayed about that job before I took that job. I was seeking the Lord about uh, what type of employment. I was seeking the Lord about where to where to put my focus, where to put my energies. And so I am this whatever it is by the will of God, if you have question about that, if you're looking at where you are, wherever you're doing with the majority of your time, energy, and effort today, if you can't say it's by the will of God, it'd be a good thing to, 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 to take a moment, take some time to say, God, I need to pray. I need to make sure that what I'm doing is according to your will, that it's what you want. Because otherwise you're wasting your life. You could waste, you're waste an entire life pursuing something for which God had not called you to do. You could, you, could, you, could, you could waste your entire life going after some dream that you dreamed up. Some people can waste their life going after something their parents dreamed up. What you want to do is take time out to say, God, what do you want? That I can pursue that with all my heart, that I can just put all my marbles right there, that I'm whatever, whatever I am, but I'm, I'm that by the will of God. Then he says, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul recognizes that it's the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus, And again, Paul's on his way to die. He's, he's, death is coming, but he's looking at the promise of life. And that, I believe that's what keeps him. Yes, I'm getting ready to die in my physical body. I'm being persecuted for my faith. I'll probably die for my faith, but I got the promise of life. And I'm looking forward to life everlasting. That's where his, that's where his mind is at. The letter is written to, so it says next, to Timothy, a beloved son. And so again, you see the relationship that Paul has with Timothy as a, a son in the faith, and so he says a beloved son. Paul loves Timothy. They have a special relationship. Again, Paul said in one place that I have no one else like him. No one else gets me. No one else has my heart like Timothy. If I send Timothy, it's like I sent myself, you know, and maybe you have people like that in your life. You know, I feel like that about my wife. If I can't be at something, if my wife can be there for me, it's like I was there because I know her. She knows my processing. She knows how I think. She knows what I would want, what I wouldn't want. I can't say that about everybody. Paul's like, Timothy, that's my guy right there. No, I got nobody else like him, that he has my heart. He's a beloved son. And then he says this, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You'll notice that in most of Paul's letters to the church, he opens up with grace and peace. But to both letters to Timothy, he says grace, mercy, and peace. And so I just pondered that like, How come he added mercy for Timothy? Yeah, I like mercy too. But, you know, he said, you know, grace and peace to all the churches. You know, grace, unmerited favor, you know, and in peace, shalom, the peace of God. But to Timothy, he says, grace, um, unmerited favor, mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And maybe because Timothy, as a young man, as a minister, as someone that was going to commit his life to serving God, he would need to understand the mercy of God. Because anybody here that's put your hand to the plow to serve God, have you messed up? Have you blown it? Have you been disappointed in yourself? Have you, have you not done what you hoped you would do? Have you, have you not done it as well as you wish? And you're either going to become condemned and quit, or you're going to understand the mercy of God that will allow you to keep moving. Grace, mercy. Don't, you don't get what you deserve. God, 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 there are times where it's like, I know I messed up, I know I deserve a whooping, and God says, okay, I'm not, but I'm not going to. Just mercy upon your life. Um, that's why Christians ought to be some of the most merciful people, because we've been shown... So much mercy. The other day, um, one of our cars, uh, the tags are out because they stole my wife's catalytic converters and we can't get a, you know, all this stuff. So I was driving the car and I know it's, you know, I'm, I'm riding dirty. I know it. So uh, Highway Patrol got behind me and I told my wife, I said, oh man, I, I already know. They're about to get me. And we pulled over and the guy came over and, uh, you know, I said, yes, sir. Here you go, here you go. And uh, he said, did you know? I said, I did know. This is what happened, blah, blah, blah. He walks back, and he comes back, and uh, he, you know, I explained to him what had happened. And I had the paper from, we had just went to try to get it fixed, but it didn't pass again. And he said, okay. He said, well, I'm going to let you get on. And I said, well, I said, mercy. mercy. I know I deserved the ticket. I was ready to receive it, but I'll take the mercy. You know, that's what mercy is. Like, I deserve punishment, but I'm not, I don't get it. You know, and God says, that's, that's what I do for you, mercy, you know, mercy of God. And as a recipient of mercy, we just ought to be a little less critical, a little less harsh, a little. It ought to just kind of soften us up, you know, where recipients of mercy ought to be very merciful to other people that need mercy. Amen. And so moving on, grace, mercy and peace. And again, if you're a recipient of grace, unmerited favor of God upon your life and you understand his mercy that I'm not getting what I deserve, You'll have peace. You'll be someone that walks in great shalom, great peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And now he begins in verse three. First words I thank God. I, I just, maybe you're not like me, but I'm, I was just pondering this. He's in jail, he's in the messed up part of the jail. He's in jail under Caesar Nero, who, let me explain what, what history says Caesar Nero did to Christians in this era that he took Christians. And he said, since they say they want to be the light of the world, he took Christians, he impaled them on poles. He put tar and pitch on them and lit them on fire. And history says he rode naked on his horses, mocking them, saying, now they're the light of the world. That's what he was doing. So if you were imprisoned by him under his rule, that way, I mean, would you be scared? I'm like, he didn't impale folk and put tar and lit them on. He's crazy. Um, that's, that's what this, then Paul's in there saying, Hey, I thank God. How do you have that kind of disposition? How do you have that mindset when that's what's going on? When that is what might happen to you? How do you, how do you just say, I thank God? How do you praise God at all times? Paul's focus is, and I I just, it's so, it's such a healthy thing that we could grasp it. Paul's focus was not on this life. His, his focus was on the life to come. One of my favorite scriptures is Romans eight verse 18. Romans 8:18, 8, Paul said this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul said, I can the, the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to, I'm looking for heaven that's going to be cool for me. And whatever I got to go through until I get there, I'm not worried about it. You know, Paul said for me to live is Christ and what? Die is gain. So if I'm living, I live for Christ. If I die, that's a gain. And again, I believe that's why he was so used of God. How do you stop a guy that feels like if I die, it's a game? If you persecute me, I get rewarded. So the threat of persecution doesn't stop him. The the threat of death only encourages him. Nothing. How do you stop that guy? You can't. He just, he went, Paul went until he was all the way done. And we'll see when we get to the end of this book that Paul's going to be one of the guys that's able to say, I finished my race. Everything Jesus gave me to do, I got it done, ready to go to heaven. That's where we want to be, you guys. Whatever you got left of this life, you want to spend it in such a way that when it's all done, you could say the thing that God gave me to do, I did it and I'm done. And so Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. And it's a long sentence. Let me just go back to verse three real quick. By the pause, I thank God. He says, whom I serve with a pure conscience. That's important for us as believers, for us that are desiring to serve God. We want to be able to serve the Lord with a pure conscience. Uh, what's a pure conscience? It's an undefiled conscience. Anybody here know what it is? You know what it is to have a dirty conscience when you've done something wrong and your conscience is bugging you about it because you are dirty. You did wrong, you know. And so we all know what that feels like, the, the guilt of, man, I'm, I'm not right. I know I'm not right. My, my conscience is is dirty right now. I'm not doing I haven't done. I've behaved in a way, lived in such a way that I should not. Um, Paul says, but I, I'm able to serve God, you know, with a pure conscience. I'd serve God with a pure conscience. That's important. Um, you don't want to get into the flow or the habit of serving the Lord in hypocrisy. Um, some people have learned the art of church. So at church, I put on church. And I know how to behave at church, around church folk. And then I go out there and I do, I do me. I live my own life. Pause it, I serve God with a pure conscience. Same guy all the time. You know, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not another guy at work and another guy at home and another guy at church, another guy over here. Pause it, I serve God with a pure conscience. We should all strive for that, that our conscience can be clean, that we serve God with, with a pure conscience. Uh, one pastor, I, I used to read a lot. He would say this phrase, his purity is your surety. And um, just just having a pure life, pure mind, pure conscience, pure life. That's, that's your confidence. That's how you're going to move forward in power. You got a dirty conscience it's going to hinder you. And everything that God will call you, it's, it's, like, giving, it's like giving the enemy arrows to fling at you because you know you're dirty. And so serving with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. And then Paul says, look, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night. So again, he's in prison himself but he's praying for other people. He's a night and day. What I'm doing in prison, I'm, I got a lot of time on my hands and I'm spending a lot of it praying for you. My mind, my heart is with you guys, praying for you night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. That word genuine means unhypocritical. Paul says that just a genuine faith in you, Timothy. Have you ever met somebody that you just say that person's genuine? There's a sincerity about them, a purity. We know people like that, where you, you just see that there's just uh, a sincerity and a purity that it's just there. It's, you just can see it in their life. There's genuine. They're solid. There's, there's a sincerity to their faith. Paul said, that's what Timothy was like. And then he goes on to speak about where he saw this at first. He says, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded is in you also. Check this out, grandparents, Right? Paul says, look, there's a genuine faith in this young man, Timothy, but it was first. First in grandma, then in mom, and it's made its way down. That means grandma did her thing. That means grandma had genuine faith. Grandma loved God. Grandma passed it on down to daughter. And grandma and daughter, because there's never any mention of Timothy's father. We don't know why, but it's not absent for nothing. There's no mention of his dad. And so uh, it may be that they did this alone. It may be that without his help, without his presence, without dad's input, this was done. But it was first in your grandmother, Lois, and it was also in your mother, Eunice, that genuine faith. And now, Timothy, we see it in you, too. And if I could just encourage the parents, grandparents have a special place in the kids' lives. And maybe your kids are messed up and they're not doing right, but grand, they bring the grands over to you and you get to have them. What then you do it? You lead them to the Lord. You take them to church. You teach them about the Lord. You take full advantage of your opportunity as a grandparent to, to do what you can do to see your grandbabies know Jesus. Um, also, it speaks to us as parents because Lois passed it down to Eunice. Eunice passed it down to her, her son. So, you know, to your own kids, if you're a parent, you ask most parents, what's your what's what's your role as a parent? What's your main to provide? You know, this this no. Your main job as a parent is first first job as a parent is to bring your kids, help your kids come to the knowledge of Jesus. That's, that's the most important thing you're going to ever do as a parent. If I couldn't provide housing for my kids, but I got them saved, they're covered. Uh, they, might not, they may not be covered by a roof, but they're covered. They're covered by God. If I can't provide the best of schooling, if I can't provide the best of, you know, material things, but I can provide them a relationship with the living God, we're going to be on this earth for a limited time span. We're going to be in eternity for, forever. We're going to be in eternity for all eternity so if I can get my kids to a place where they understand who Jesus is, they'll know who to cry out to in a time of need. They'll know how to reach him. They'll know how to be in touch. They'll have a relationship with the living God. That's the most valuable thing I can pass down. Now, I want to do all the other things just the same, but I got to know the priority is that. I, I need to make sure that they know the Lord. That's my job. That's my role. That's my agenda. And I don't care about anything else as much. I don't celebrate anything else as much. I'm glad for the good grades but I'm gladder for the service to the Lord and a heart for God. And, a, and a, when I see them do things that I know God stirred up, I, that's a bigger deal to me. I'm gonna make a bigger deal about that. Your grades might be great. It's awesome. You should do your best. I want that too, but I'm not as proud of that as I am to see you living for the Lord, to see you making choices that honor God with your life. That'll go the farthest. That'll reap the most benefit in their life. And so um, as we see it here, It came on down. Grandma, mom, and it came down to Timothy. And so parents, we want to, and grandparents, uh, we want to make sure that we do our part and we take advantage of the role God has given us. Amen? And so he says again, which I'm persuaded is in you also. Then he says, therefore, I remind you, speaking to Timothy, he says, to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so here Paul says, Look, I, I wanna remind you to stir up the gift of God. There was a gift that, Tim, there's, that Timothy had gifts that were given to him from God, but they were dormant, right? They needed to be stirred up. If you take, you might buy a drink, you know, um, we buy, me and my daughter buy this ginger tea. And if you just let it sit for a while, you'll see all some of the ginger stuff at the bottom. And so you gotta, if you wanna taste it all, you gotta stir it up. You know, you wanna get it all mixed out through the thing. Paul's telling Timothy, look, there's some gifts in you that are just dormant right now, bro. And I, I got to tell you to stir it up, stir up the gifts that are in you. And I believe the biggest hindrance to people using their gifts for the Lord is fear. So it's not strange that the very next thing he says, after he says, stir up the gift that's in you through the land on, the th- stir up the gifts that are in you, which, um, which are in you through the land on of my hand. And he says, for God has not given you the spirit of fear. Why are those two things so closely connected? Because one of the reasons why people sit on their gifts It's for fear. God give you a word of prophecy and you're but you're afraid to speak it. What if it doesn't come to pass? God encourage you or stir your heart to go. Go lay hands and pray for her. But you don't go do it because what if nothing happens? God God tell you to do something and, you know, stir your heart up to to serve him in a way. Maybe you're called to teach or to do something. But 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 what if I'm not good? And can I tell you that Satan will always throw that I've never done anything for God that my flesh wasn't afraid to do. I've never been more afraid to do anything in my life than the first time I taught. Though I felt called, I felt like God had called me to do it. I felt that, I mean, everything in me was, the, the, every time I pray about it, it was there. Um, when I was reading, God would give me understanding. I was preaching in my car. I, I believe with my whole heart, I was called to do it. And when I finally got the opportunity to do it, I remember as the days approached, that was, I've never been that afraid of anything in my life. I've not been afraid of getting jumped I've not been I've never felt that it was a it was a spirit. That's how I know it was spiritual. Um, I've, I've experienced things in a world that should have been, I, you know, scary, but nothing matched that kind of fear. And it, it's just a fear you got to overcome. And so Paul's telling Timothy, look, God didn't give you that. And so I'll say this to you. If there's something that God's called you to do and you haven't done it because you're afraid, that fear that you have the same thing, Paul told Timothy, God didn't give you that fear. God didn't give it to you. So who gave it to you, where it came from, where did it come from? It didn't come from God. Your fear didn't come from God. If we would just do whatever God said with abandonment for what might happen, what might go wrong, what might not work out, what they might think, what, if we just let all that go and just say, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. We'd tear up some things in a good way. It is a bad kind of tear. We would get some things accomplished for the Lord. I can only wonder what's dormant among us. For the sake because of fear. And so I'm going to challenge you to do something because we don't want to just be hearing the word, you guys, and then leave and say, wow, God really, I was getting convicted. I hope he get off that verse real quick. You know, it was starting to touch me. If this is you, please do this for me. If you know in your heart, I have I, I not done this because I'm afraid. Right now, write it down. Right now, write it down. That's, that's, part of the, that's the first step. Acknowledge it, write it down, and then before you leave, you need to share it with somebody. Somebody here that'll help you. Y'all know that there are people here that are be that they're not going to do nothing for you. They're not going to say nothing. Don't tell them. Go to that person that you know is going. They're going to ride you. They're going to make you. Did you do it yet? They'll be texting, calling. They'll show up at your house. Did you do it? You didn't do. You didn't do it yet. You need to do it today. You need to do it before you go to the bathroom. You need to do it. That person. Write it down and let somebody here know that you know is going to challenge you, encourage you to do it. Um, don't live another week without without. What might God do as you step out and do it? you never know. Don't live that kind of life.
0: You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Today's message from 2 Timothy is available to be listened to again on our website. Just visit CalvaryInglewood.org and click on Media. Or you can download our mobile app to listen to more teachings. You'll find a link on our website. You can also search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. We'd love for you to join us for church this weekend too. Calvary Chapel Inglewood meets at 9 and 11 a.m. on Sundays to worship God. Learn from His Word and be together as the family of God. You'll find directions and the latest information at our website, calvaryinglewood.org. We also get together each Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're not able to make it in person, you can join us virtually through our live stream. Visit CalvaryInglewood.org to connect to YouTube Live and be sure to subscribe to our page. You can catch up on previous week's services there too. All of that is available again at CalgaryEnglewood.org. Before we go today, we'd like to take a moment and invite you to be a part of what we're doing here at A Transforming Word. Would you preferably consider becoming a financial partner of this ministry? Each gift, no matter the size, is used to keep the program growing and reaching people with the gospel message. If you feel like God is leading you to support us this way, you can give securely at CalvaryEnglewood.org or through our mobile app. Thanks for praying about this. And thanks for tuning in to A Transforming Word.